I want to preface this sermon this morning. I am not trying to, this is not a coded or secret message to a political position. I'm not taking political sides. I am addressing the word of the Lord that came to me instantly, a whole sermon. Listen, if you've ever had to put a sermon together, uh, you can appreciate that to get title, text, and context in a nanosecond with illustrations and everything from the Word of God, uh, that's no natural thing. And uh, I know that it is a prophetic word. This is, in other words, this is a word straight from God's heart and straight from His mind. This happened to me on a number of occasions over the years. Generally, as God has led me to speak prophetically, these things have always been very, very uh, accurate and profound. At the beginning of 2020, no, I didn't make a mistake. I'm not talking about 2021. At the beginning of 2020, here we as a church have been meeting every morning and praying for approximately, at the beginning of 2020, it was just over two years, I believe. And um, as I would come out of the prayer meetings, you know, you want to start a new year off with a bang. And as a pastor, you want to massage every message and, and always bring it to a place of faith and hope, et cetera, et cetera. And even when there's negative news, faith is what gives us a very powerful and a positive period at the end of the sentence. Are you with me? Absolutely. But I'd come out of the prayer meetings and I kept saying to my team, and this is long before COVID hit our shores and before we knew how it would affect 2020. I kept saying, things aren't right. I don't have a good feeling. Things just aren't right. I don't sense happy things, good things ahead of us. And needless to say, we've had a very tumultuous year, to say the least. It's also interesting that the very last sermon in 2019, the last week of December 2019, started a series, Draw Near to Me, and I Will Draw Near to You. For those of you who don't know me, for those of you who may be watching <clears throat> and your recent viewers, I take preaching very seriously. And every time I preach, it's a matter of doing a lot of waiting on God with the question and the heart attitude, God, this is your church, your people, what do you want to say? And I take that very seriously to the point where at times I will be in prayer and fasting, <clears throat> waiting on God to hear. And uh, 2019 ended with the first message of a series, Draw Near to Me and I'll Draw Near to You. And it was a call from God for the church to start running after Him. Right after that, in uh, the latter part of January 2020, I was a call to prayer and fasting. And we as a church went on a 21-day uh, fast, praying and crying out to God. And I taught on prayer. Right after that, it was a series that had to do with repentance. I want you to understand that generally my messages are faith and miracle-orientated as well as Christian behavior and lifestyle. It's always my desire to bring the supernatural down to the natural so that you and I can walk in the supernatural as naturally as natural people walk in a natural world. But when God puts a message on my heart, it's his church. And we just obey. Amen? Absolutely. And all of 2020 was one word after another. Uh, no sooner had we finished preaching on repentance, uh, God led us to one or two other things, and repentance kept coming up. And there were messages of repentance right across the United States of America by prominent spiritual leaders. It's an interesting thing that when God has something on his heart, 
the radio towers of God's appointed men and women who are called to speak into the church all receive the same signal. And so it's no surprise that the same message is heard in pulpits, different pulpits around America. Never ceases to amaze me that God allows me to be a part of that network. I'll say it again. It never ceases to amaze me that God allows me to be a part of that network. I know who I can be purely in the flesh. But by faith, I know who I am right now in Jesus Christ. Can we all say amen to that? Absolutely. Amen. And we give the credit to God. The message that God gave me yesterday morning, the title is called The Perfect Storm. The Perfect Storm. This message has four distinct purposes. Four distinct purposes, three of which I'm going to tell you now, the fourth of which I will tell you at the end. This message has four distinct purposes. Number one, to inform you. Number two, to focus you. And number three, to warn you, a perfect storm is coming. It's brewing. Let me uh, take a moment to first explain what a perfect storm is. I'm sure many of you heard of the movie and the book, A Perfect Storm, and some of you may have actually watched the movie. But what is A Perfect Storm? From a meteorological point of view, A Perfect Storm is a a particularly violent storm arising from a rare combination of adverse meteorological factors and things that don't normally all happen simultaneously start converging on each other and you have this phenomenon that develops that creates something that goes far beyond a very bad storm. It is something that is not normal, it is not typical, And it is odd in that so many of these diverse and independent circumstances meteorologically came together and happened at the same time, creating one mammoth, unique storm. The the term perfect storm is also used as an idiom. It's an expression which can depict a particularly bad or critical state of affairs arising from a number of negative and unforeseen or unpredictable factors. The perfect storm. God gave me a text. I didn't think any of this through. He downloaded it all. It was was there. In fact, I was getting excited as I'm hearing the sermon preached in my head. Then I had to come to prayer meeting and change gears, go to a a Zoom meeting straight after that, and then rapidly try to put some uh, food items together as I joined with my family and was engaged pretty much till midnight. Um, But I thank God that he had laid the seeds early Saturday morning, and then it was to me to research and take and break down what God was saying in a way that I can convey a message that everyone can logistically and practically take hold of the principles of God's Word. Are you all with me? All right. I'm not losing you, am I? All right, because this is very, very, very important to those of you that uh, may hear this on any media platform, be it audio or audiovisual, I want to assure you that I believe with all of my heart that God is speaking. And I think it would be extremely wise for all of us, with all of our attention, to take note and to hear the word of the Lord. So I just explained what a perfect storm is. It can be In fact, a climate thing, or it can be an idiom referring to circumstances 
and situations in life. The message that God put on my heart comes from the text, Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 to 23. It's a story that takes place on the Sea of Galilee. It's very interesting that Jesus, while he was born in Bethlehem, the city of David just outside of Jerusalem, he grew up in Galilee. The prophet Isaiah starts Isaiah chapter 9, you know that whole Christmas prophetic passage, for unto us a child is born, talks about that the people were living in darkness in the land of Zebulon, uh, Naphtaph, by the way of Galilee, and a great light had dawned on them. And it goes on until it comes to Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born. Very interesting, Jesus grew up in Galilee. It's very interesting that the majority of Jesus' ministry did not take place up and down Israel or in Jerusalem. The majority of his ministry took place <clears throat> around his own hometown and that region of Galilee. It's also very interesting that uh, it is just a historical fact, a, a fact of custom, a fact of culture that Galilee was always considered a depressed and deprived uh, place. Depressed and deprived in every sense. If you were from Galilee, you were from the lowest rung of anywhere in Israel. The only thing lower than that was a Samaritan. Okay? Now this goes back to something that took place in the Old Testament, when Solomon was building the temple, he had given or offered, I think it was 10 towns from the way of Galilee uh, to this king who had supplied a lot of cedar and other goods for the temple. When he went to inspect these cities, he called them cursed. And ever since that time, to be a Galilean or to be called a Galilean was an insult to infer you are inferior, you are less than, and you are dim-witted. And so there arose a custom or a saying that said, can anything good come out of Galilee? I thank God that God is the God who breaks curses. Amen. He is the curse breaker. And for every one of us, you need to champion the fact and applaud the fact that the God that you love and the God who loves you 10,000 times more than you love him is the God who is a curse breaker. I don't care what curse has been on your life. I don't care what curse has been on your family line. I don't care what curse is coming down the pipeline. Our God is a God who breaks and smashes the curses of the enemy. Can I I get agreement. Amen. He's a curse breaker. And so while Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he was raised in Galilee, and that was the beginning of God breaking the curse. He takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He takes the least in men's eyes to break the bondage of the greatest. Amen. So the story takes place around Galilee. In fact, it takes place on the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Sea of Galilee is actually a freshwater lake. It's not a sea, it's a lake. It's called a sea. In fact, the Sea of Galilee is known by numerous different names, and uh, even at times, different gospel writers at times use different names. It is the Sea of Galilee. We won't go into all those names today uh, because it's not as relevant to some of the facts I want to share with you. The Sea of Galilee is actually a freshwater lake situated in the northern region of Israel. So, if my social media team or awesome, you'll see <laughs> to your left is Israel. And this is the northern part of Israel. Israel continues on from this map further south. The Sea of Galilee is in the northernmost region of Israel. 
It is approximately 40 miles west of the coastline, and that coastline is watered by the Mediterranean Sea. Okay, so on the east we have the Mediterranean Sea and the coastline of Israel. And if we were to go absolutely in a straight line to the Sea of Galilee, we would have to travel approximately 40 miles. This whole region is a semi-tropical region. And so the climate being semi-tropical, there are always warm breezes that, suffer, uh, uh, that cover the plateau of this region. Now, the Sea of Galilee is actually 680 feet below sea level. So here you have the Mediterranean Sea on the border, but the land starts to go down as it goes west. So on your left is the east. Uh, no, sorry. Uh, on your left is the east. Yes, no. On the left is the west, and on your right, on your right is the east, okay? And uh, as we go west, um, it descends, and the sea of Galilee is 680 feet below sea level. It is the lowest freshwater lake of any in the entire world. The only other lake that is lower than that is a saltwater lake, and it's the Dead Sea, which is also in Israel. But immediately cuddling the Sea of Galilee on the west is the Golan, the Golan Heights. I'm sorry. This is the east, and that is the west. Okay, the Golan Heights is on the east, and it cuddles the Sea of Galilee, and immediately it rises up and the mountain ranges of the Golan Heights reach a height of over 9,000 feet in height. So we would all immediately understand the higher you go up, the colder it is. And so the Golden height, uh, Golan Heights often is uh, very, very cold, and yet, the plateau, the land around the Sea of Galilee is a semi-tropical climate. And so, what happens is occasionally you have a perfect storm on the Sea of Galilee. Perfect because it is a shallow lake comparatively to bodies of water. It is only 200 feet deep maximum at its, at its deepest point. Similar to the uh, Lake Erie... In that chain of lakes here in northern USA, uh, Lake Erie is also a very shallow lake. And shallow lakes can be whipped up into a frenzy of very high waves quickly because it's a relatively shallow or small body of water that has to be moved. So what happens is when you have a series of unique circumstances coming together, that's what forms a perfect storm. So you have a unique situation where this sea is very shallow. It is depressed from even the sea level. And it is a very warm, semi-tropical climate. But it is immediately nestled by the Golan Heights, which are over 9,200 uh, feet high, and when cold winds would come down from the north and sweep across the lake, the semi-tropical air and the cold air, as they hit, they create turbulence, and as they create turbulence, it causes a stirring effect right in the very middle of that lake, and it stirs up the water, and waves have been recorded as high as 12 feet. That's very high in a very small lake. Just to give you a little bit of a comparison, the Sea of Galilee is 100 times smaller than Lake Erie. So this is a relatively, comparatively small body of water. And this water, under the perfect circumstances, can be stirred up dramatically. 
Now, we're going to read from Matthew chapter 14. Just prior to Matthew 14, there was a situation where Jesus was in the boat with his disciples. They were newbies. They were newcomers to this Messiah. They were still figuring him out. They knew at least, at best, uh, well, no, at least he was a great teacher. But they had an inkling there's something more here. Was he the Messiah? They came to a period, a, 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 gradual, a, a gradual increase of revelations. They went from teacher to master as they saw him command wind and waves and command demons. They went from teacher to master to Messiah to finally Peter making the declaration Thou art the Christ. You are the anointed Messiah we are waiting for. You are the Son of God. To which Jesus said, flesh and blood hasn't revealed that to you, Peter. That has been revealed to you by the Holy Ghost. So they went on a journey. And their faith progressively grew, just like us. We, we grow in our understanding and our knowledge of who God is. Who Christ is. And as we grow in that knowledge, our faith goes from one level of taking milk from a bottle to eating solids to finally we get to a place in faith where we can chow down on a nice juicy steak once in a while. And that's a good thing too. All right. So here they are, uh, a few chapters before this here. <clears throat> They're in a boat with Jesus. And they're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and the perfect storm whips up. And the waves are crashing in on the boat. Now, you have to understand, Peter, James, John, they weren't scaredy cats. They were afraid, but with good reason. These were seasoned men. As you study the Gospels, you will see this wasn't their first time as fishermen uh, they didn't decide to, hey, guys, let's go out fishing. No, this was the family business that their forefathers had started and was handed down to them. They lived around this lake. They knew this lake. They were on this lake as kids. And they knew to respect what this lake could do. And so here they are in what was uh, a type of a perfect storm and the waves are crashing in on the boat and Jesus is sleeping in the back of the boat. And Peter, a very rough, a very tough, a very uh, virile, strong kind of man is gripped with fear because he knows what can happen on the Sea of Galilee. And he turns to Jesus and he says, don't you care that we're going to die? Now this is before, this is when they still see him as a teacher. Could you ever imagine being in the same boat as God and being afraid that you're going to drown? All God has to do is stand up and the water would barely come to his toenails. Figuratively. Are you with me? Come on, humor me a little bit here. Alright, stay with me. I'm Painting a canvas so that you will clearly understand the word of the Lord. I could easily preach a sermon and you can forget it. If I paint a picture, it'll stay in your mind. Okay? And here Peter and the disciples are afraid, honestly thinking they're going to die. <clears throat> and he turns to Jesus, <clears throat> don't you care? We are in a life and death situation. Jesus stands up, and he rebukes the wind, and he rebukes the wave. Based on the natural elements, the not normal circumstances of the warm air and a warm breeze coming in from the Mediterranean and cold wind coming in off the Golan Heights, Jesus speaks to the natural elements that are nothing sure than violent, nothing less than violent turbulence, and he commands the wind and the waves and commands the natural to submit to the supernatural. Now, everything Jesus did 
He didn't do it because he was God in the flesh. The Bible says he came as a man to show us what the new man in Christ Jesus is meant to look like. Okay? And he commands the elements of the natural world as violent, as turbulent as they are. He was showing his disciples that he has authority over the realm of the natural when you live and walk in the realm of the spiritual. He was showing the church. He was showing you and me and every believer before us and every believer that might come after us that if we walk by the Spirit, if we walk on the Word of God, then the turbulence of the natural world cannot take us down. Can I get an agreement, church? <clears throat> this is where the disciples went from their faith in Christ as being a great teacher to master. He mastered even the natural realm, the wind and the waves. It was a short time after that that Peter finally makes the declaration, Thou art the Christ, the Son of God. Their faith grew in progression. It's natural. God uses both the natural and the supernatural. But what's interesting is Jesus started with baby steps. Here he is in the boat. And they think they're going to die, and he proves them wrong. They see the information from the natural world. Their radios were on. They asked Siri on their telephone, how bad is this storm? They got on social media, and Facebook said, this is a doozy. They looked to all the elements in the natural realm. And Jesus had to prove to them that when all of the elements in the natural realm are screaming at you, you're going to die. Don't forget who's in the boat with you. Amen. So when you follow these stories through, you'll see it's only but a short time after that, Jesus had just finished preaching to the people and he's sitting, he says, uh, you guys, I want you to get in the, your rowboats and go over to the other side and he climbs the mountain, the Golan Heights. And the story says he's sitting there and he's watching them. Now, it actually, when you study this story in the different gospels, you'll see one gospel writer says he urged them Get in the boat and go to the other side. These are fishermen. He urged them. What happens next? They're in a storm. Why did he have to urge them? Why didn't they just comply? He's the master. He, he tells a thousand demons to come out and they come out. Why didn't they just obey? These are seasoned fishermen and they could feel the cold air breeze coming off the mountain. They knew. Jesus goes up the side of the hill. You see, this is called mentoring. He taught them that you're okay when God's in the boat, and he's about to teach them you're okay even if God isn't immediately in the boat you're in. So he climbs the mountain, and he's praying, and he's watching them. And, and, and as you read the story through the different eyes of the gospel writers, you will see that Jesus sees them straining at the oars for numerous hours. He set up the circumstance because he had to ground them on faith. Faith in who he is and faith in the character of who he is. <clears throat> After them straining at the oars for a number of hours, and the Bible says they hadn't gotten very far, Jesus, God, humorously, comes down off the mountain and starts walking on the waves. The wind is blowing, they're straining, they're not getting far, and he's walking above the natural circumstances of this world. In fact, one gospel writer, humor, and I have to say humorously, 
I mean, honestly, if you, you take your religious high hat off, you've got to laugh at some of this stuff. When you step back and look at the story, Jesus is about to walk past the boat. Now he's watching them all night from the mountain. He knows where they are. He's about to walk past them. I find this is hilarious. But the point is, you can go much further and faster in the supernatural than you can in the natural. And if we live by the natural, we will be limited by the natural and we will be overcome by the natural. But when you learn to live by the Spirit, you will rise above the turbulence of the natural world and you will move in agreement with God and you will move faster and further because of the Spirit of God. Can I get an agreement? So we're going to start reading this story from Matthew's eyes and we've painted the basic canvas here. And uh, we're going to get straight into the story. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. Remember, one gospel writer says he urged them, get in the boat, go. They didn't want to. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, but it was buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost! It never ceases to amaze me how when we are in negative circumstances that are real, tangible, visible, we're experiencing them, our imagination will amplify it and take us even into more difficult uh, suspicions or imaginations. And that's what you're seeing here. Yeah, they're facing naturally difficult circumstances They're fighting against the wind and the waves, and immediately their imagination takes them to the worst case scenario. Ah, it's a ghost. Now, not only are the waves and the water going to get us, but this unknown ghostly creature, that's all right, yeah, this unknown ghostly creature or personage is coming towards us. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It's me. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. I love this guy. I love this guy. I mean, (laughs) he says some dumb things sometimes. And occasionally, he says something brilliant. He shows extreme ignorance sometimes. And then other times, God uses him mightily. I can equate with this guy. He's real. And there's hope for the likes of me. So I, I love this. Scared one minute, and rightly so, not about the ghost thing, but about what the lake could do. Scared one minute, terrified, and the next, in awe and amazement. God, if you can do that, I want to be in it too. Do you realize that out of all the disciples, Peter 30 years later was the only one that could ever say, I walked on water. (laughs) Peter says, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come. Here's the point, or one of the points. No matter the turbulence of the circumstance, no matter what's happening in the news, 
no matter what's happening in the nation, whether it's real or not real, no matter what's happening on social media and everywhere around us, Jesus gave Peter the invitation to walk above the natural circumstances. And in Jesus bidding him to come, he bids his church, he bids his representatives, he bids his ambassadors who are making a call to the world to return to God, to do as he did and to rise up out of the place of fear and into the realm of God's safe supernatural realm. Come, come on church. Jesus is telling you that there are turbulent things around us, but you can rise up and walk above them. You can defy the order of the natural realm because you are from the order of the supernatural realm. Prior to the fall of mankind, the natural world never dominated the supernatural. It was the supernatural first, the realm of the spirit first, and everything was subject to the first Adam and all the laws of nature and all the laws of the natural realm were subject to a very natural yet supernaturally endowed Adam before the fall. Now Jesus, the last Adam. You know, Paul writes in Romans that the first Adam was only a pattern of the one to come. On the one hand, we could think Adam blew it for all of us. Now he opened the gateway so that we could finally see the real thing. By the way, if you were born into the likeness of the first Adam, how much more when we are born again, we're born into the likeness of the last Adam. Every Christian honestly needs to become convinced that is natural for you to be supernatural. To walk in the supernatural blessings of God and to expect the supernatural of God all around you. God didn't cause you to be born again into a fallen world. He caused you to be born again into his spirit so that you could have dominance over the things that happen in a fallen, broken, natural world. If you don't say it, I'm going to say it. I'm going to turn around and I'm going to say it. So, But honestly, all you know, I do that to make fun and to impress a point. But in all honesty, think about what was said. When this comes on your cell phone tomorrow, make this one of the highlights, Jade. Play it again. You weren't born into the last Adam so that the, the mistakes of the first Adam can continue to whip your butt. You were born into the last Adam so that you will have authority with the last Adam over the mistakes that the first Adam unleashed. If that isn't so, then why the heck does God get the Holy Spirit to inspire Paul to write, and you have been seated in heavenly places with Jesus Christ? Even that imagery shows you that you are called to live in the realm of God's blessing and supernatural with the natural order of things subject to you as a child of God. Good preaching, Pastor Rob. Come. God's saying, come. A perfect storm is brewing. It's time to get out of your natural faith. 
It's time to get out of the place of comfort. All of Peter's life, he grew up inside the boat alongside of his daddy who was a fisherman. It was natural and comfortable to be inside the boat. And now for the first time in his life, he's being called and given permission to step out of his comfort zone and a walk on water. In all of his life, everything was safe in the boat. It wasn't safe outside the boat. Not in the middle of the lake. And Jesus said, come. And I'm telling you, that the Holy Spirit is calling the church of Jesus Christ to rise up and to gird itself with the word of the Lord and to understand that the promises of God under your feet are more secure than the laws of the natural realm. When we stand on the word of the Lord, you're safer in a new place than you are in your old place of comfort. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. Everything is about journeys. He's doing good. He's journeying. He's coming towards Jesus. Your relationship with Jesus is a journey. It's not just an experience, it's a journey. It's not a a one-moment event that now you live from. It's a journey we live towards. We live towards learning Him and knowing Him and loving Him more and more every day. Are you with me? And so here's Peter walking towards Him. He's doing good. We're talking about Peter, verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. I'm telling you that if you look at the natural, you will have to make a decision to believe its finality and to believe its inference and to be afraid. Or to look at what it's saying and then look at what God's saying and be filled with faith. In this instance, in the dark of the night, with the wind blowing and Peter's garments being ruffled. And right now sometimes your garments are being ruffled. He sees the wind, he sees the water and he starts to fear. He's feeling the waves. He's feeling the wind on his face. And he's feeling the spray of the water on his face. Two levels. One, he sees. Two, he feels. The soul is ruled by the realm of the intellect and the emotions. He allowed the information to be digested in his intellect. And he allowed it to garner up emotions. And he started to become fearful. That will never take you to the place of faith. If you look at the natural realm and allow your emotions to run with you, just like they did when they said, it's a ghost. You will never be in the place of faith. A perfect storm is coming, but God wants his kids to walk on the waves as a testimony to his goodness and to his glory. Peter was wise enough that in his moment of weakness at least he cried out to the Lord Lord save me I want to tell you that the similitude of that statement needs to be in our mouth all the time when you're in fear Lord save me and when you're in faith Lord, I thank you, I am saved, and I am walking in the power and the presence of your mighty hand. Amen. Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith. You see, here's the problem. Peter's eyes went off of Jesus onto the circumstances. 
I told you that the purpose of this message, number one, was to inform you. Number two, to focus you. Number three, to warn you that a storm is coming. When Peter got his eyes off the circumstances and back on Jesus Christ, he allowed his mind now to remember. He allowed his mind now to process again. He calmed the wind and the waves in an earlier chapter. He spoke to the demons and they obeyed and they tremored. When he came to the one called legions, the demons cried out in unison and said to this man, the Christ, have you come to torment us before our time? And Peter starts thinking. In the realm of his soul, his mind starts tabulating all the things he had seen and heard. Jesus reaches out to him, <coughs> excuse me, to get Peter's focus from the circumstances to the hand of God. I want you to go from looking at the circumstances to grabbing hold of the hand of God. I want you to tabulate in your mind the wonderful things that he has done and the miracles that he has performed even here in this church. The great things he has done. Renew it in your mind. Rehearse it in your memory. Let your mouth come into agreement so your ears can flap and say amen and amen and amen so that your emotions will get happy. So that your soul will come into agreement with your spirit, which is always in agreement with the Lord. Yes. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. God knows how to create a situation to affect our hearts so that he can affect our eternities. The wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. <clears throat> the fourth purpose for this message is to teach you how to walk on water supernaturally when the enemy is manipulating the natural world through violent and turbulent circumstances. Why? So that those that are in the boat and those that are in, on the shore, those that are in the world, will come to the conclusion, truly, he is the Son of God. All right, we're going to start from the beginning. Your response tells me you didn't get it. Amen. Or is my, my sermon more like a slow train coming? You're way ahead of me. <laughs> Good. Don't be defocused by the wind and the water. Don't be defocused by the wind and the water hitting you in the face. That'll keep you out of the supernatural. Church, I believe that God gave me this word because a perfect storm is brewing. I say this both to Republicans and Democrats. I hope you don't see yourselves as a Republican or a Democrat. I hope you see yourself as a son of God and a citizen of heaven. Secondarily, by a long stretch in between, we are Americans. And I will not allow the politics of this nation to disenfranchise a brother in Christ. And I will not allow the politics of this nation to bring division into this church. Because what the enemy wants to do is to take our focus off of Jesus in the midst of a storm so that we will drown. But if we keep our eyes on Jesus, we will rise above the realm of the natural. I am not preaching this message because 
of what has just happened and oh no, now uh, the president is going to be so-and-so, whoever that is. President-elect Biden. No, I'm, I'm preaching to both sides of, of the aisle. A natural storm is brewing. The days of the Gentiles are coming to a close. He made his proclamation. It was a one last stand to the house of Israel. And they received him not. And they did not respond accordingly. And Jesus wept. Thirty some odd years after they failed to recognize their Messiah, the doors closed. Do you understand history? Israel was wiped off the map. Until the doors opened 2,000 years later, 1948, from 1948 till now, Israel has still been wrestling to be recognized by the whole world as a sovereign nation. When the doors of God start to close, they close. No man can open a door that God has closed and no man can shut a door that God has opened. Thank God at the moment the doors are still open, but they are hinging and swinging towards a close. Today is the day of salvation. Today, put your hope in your soter, the Savior, the Deliverer, the Healer, the Preserver. Today, get your house in order. Today, get back into the house of God. Today, stop living by the fear of the rumors of the demons of hell and get yourself in a place where you are positioned to be in agreement with the Spirit and the voice of the Lord. Today, the enemy is growling. Today, the enemy is strategizing. Today, the enemy is planning. He sees an opportunity because the gates are closing and he is opening his mouth and his fangs to devour as many as he can devour. There is no president or politician that's going to be our savior. And if you are worried whether whatever side of the political spectrum you are in, on, if you are worried, dismayed, concerned, confused, then your eyes weren't on Jesus, they were on the circumstances. Very clearly, God has been saying, turn your eyes towards me. Turn to me. Turn to me. I want to tell you that America has not listened. We have still taken our flags of party division and rallied around our flags. I have never said not to vote. I've told you to vote. Now let it lie and let us hear the call of heaven and rally towards what the church of Jesus Christ is called to do and called to be. Can I get an amen? We are not of this earth. We are of heaven. But guess what? We're not there yet. So if we are of heaven, but we're still here, it's because we're meant to take heaven's attitude and heaven's disciplines and bring them to earth to affect earth. Sorry, that means you have to do something. I realize I only got a few claps that time. Should I say it again? How about, yeah, now I got to remember what I said. How about we make believe I just replayed it and the response is? There you go. That was easier. Please. If my mannerisms offend you, if my attempts to be humorous cause you to think I'm arrogant, please look past that. 
This is the heart of a shepherd who hears the word of the Lord and he is concerned that God's kids stay safe and victorious. Yeah. A perfect storm is brewing. But in the perfect storm, we will keep our eyes on the perfect one who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Amen. 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 Would you stand with me? How many of you agree this is a now word of God? Not so that I can be seen or heard. But if you witness or testify that God is speaking, then would you use the tools that God has allowed us to have and send this message to as many people as you know? Because this isn't just the word for Grace and Faith Church. I believe we're living in the last of the last days. Am I saying we've got 12 days, 12 months, 12 years? I don't know. But I am of the tribe of Ishakar. And I know how to understand the times of the seasons. <clears throat> And as your shepherd, appointed and anointed by God, I stand here to tell you honestly what God has spoken into my spirit. I love you. And for those of you that are watching, I love you. But to all of us, none the least those that are watching by live stream or any other form of social media, and only God knows how long we'll have it. Make haste. Make haste. There were ten virgins. Five didn't make haste. They didn't fill their vessels with extra oil. Don't be arrogant and don't be sleepy. If there is hidden sin in your life, come on. Let's come before God who understands us and knows why we grapple with stuff. Let's get it right. It's time to get it right. Don't cover those things so that they will bite you in private. It's time to put away <clears throat> childish things. It's time to put away secret sin. It's time to get our house in order. Get the vacuum cleaner out. Paint your house with the Word of God. Bring change to your lifestyle. Five virgins went in when the bridegroom came. Five virgins were left without. That's another sermon. But let's at least take note of the period at the end of the sentence. It's time for all of us everywhere to act like the sons of God first. We happen to have been appointed to be in this nation. But some of us live as if we are of this nation. And there's an arrogance that comes with that. Yes, I am an American. And yes, I am... Happy, even proud to be an American. But I'm not always proud of what we do. I thank God at times that I am a son of God. <laughs> I can lay claim to that realm where everything is always honorable and good. But I say to the church, wake up. I say to the church, hear and be ever hearing. I say to the church that I am the one who decrees and decides a thing. And I have seasons within my own hands. I say to the church, you have yet a moment to repent 
and to bring repair to your lives and to those around you. I say to the church, my wings are still filled with grace and healing and compassion. But I say to the church, the time is drawing near. So let all who hear, hear. And let there be a godly fear arise in your hearts. Because as you do, the enemy is the one who will be afraid, says the Lord. Amen. Church. I'm not trying to manipulate anyone. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to use emotionalism against you. Can you hear the heart of a dad? Now's the time to light fires in the church of our own soul. And now's the time for us, the church, to make sure that there is a fire, a holy fire in the house of the Lord. Now's the time before the enemy tries to stop us again, before demons try to crowd the minds of men in power and hinder and slow down the church. It is time to rally. It is time to gather. It is time that iron sharpens iron. It is time for the fellowship of the saints to stir each and every one that in our soul and in our spirit and in our bodies we can be in agreement with the yes that is spoken in heaven. Let there be an amen in the land that comes from the people of God. Body, soul, and spirit, let's come into agreement. And let's be the church of Jesus Christ. Let's take up fasting on our own accord, not waiting for someone else to push us or guilt us into fasting. But each and every one of us, take account for your life and take account for your families. And bring your knees to the altar and cry out to God and say, Father, in the midst of this circumstance and the storm that the enemy is brewing, I humble myself in sackcloth and ashes and repentance. And I come to you, God. Renew in me a heart of faithfulness and a heart of faith. They go together. Faithful is the man who has faith. It's impossible to stay in faith and not have faithfulness. Faithful is the man who stays in faith. All week long, it kept coming to me. Faithful is the man, dot, dot, dot. Faithful is a man want. I went on Google because that's how I find verses sometimes when I can't think of where it is. <clears throat> and so I type in, faithful is the man. Even Google didn't know. And I've heard it so many times. And when I would forget to go to Google and search it out or forget to go to my Bible and search it out, because I, I did forget several times, I get busy. But at odd times, Faithful is the man, dot, dot, dot. Faithful is the man, dot, dot, dot. And finally I did it, and I couldn't find anything. There was no verse. And just then, the Holy Spirit said to me, it came out of my mouth, I'm hearing it as I'm saying it. Faithful is the man who stays in faith. You cannot be in faith unless you develop faithfulness. Faith is a byproduct of faithfulness. And we need to develop faithfulness to the things of God. 
And as we develop faithfulness to the reading of the word, the entering into worship during the week on our radios, in the car, as we remain faithful in tithes and offerings, faithful in fellowship one with another, faithful in gathering around the apostles' doctrines and coming together, faithful in showing love to one another and caring. It's out of a lifestyle of faithfulness to the things of God that faith arises. Amen. Wow, I feel like I preached a hundred sermons. Amen. 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 Don't be afraid of what the enemy could do. We're in good hands. But let's come into faith by coming into faithfulness to the things of God. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. I have to do this so every eye closed. Is there anyone here who's never asked Jesus into your heart or you've walked away and you need to get it right? That's okay. No shame. Only gain. No shame. Only gain. Raise your hand right now and say, Pastor, please pray for me. I want to ask Jesus into my heart. Thank you. God bless you. I appreciate that. That's a man's man, honest and secure. Good man. I'd love to talk to you afterwards. Anyone else? Raise your hand and say yes to Jesus. If you have walked away, say yes to Jesus. Amen. Everyone repeat after me. Everyone repeat after me. Dear God, I believe you love me. Jesus Christ. I need you. Come into my heart today, right now. I am opening up the gates of my life. Come in, Jesus. Live inside me. I'm sorry. Forgive me for all of my mistakes. For all of my sin. Forgive me. Jesus Christ, I accept you. As my Lord and Savior today. And I thank you. You received me. And you're going to live in me forever. Amen. Amen. Those of you on, on live stream or social media that have prayed that prayer, please contact us, the church, 813 813- 855-8491 or go to Grace and Faith and you'll see ways to contact our office. And anyone who's raised their hand here, I'd love to take a few moments right after the service to talk with you and to congratulate you. To the church, I say be of good cheer. It is a new year, I can't promise you. It's going to be a better year in the natural. But whatever it is out there, It'll be great for those who keep their eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now to that, I want to hear aloud, that's how it is. Amen. God bless you. Give someone a high five and air.